0: Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. We're looking at the letters that Jesus dictated to the Apostle John to seven churches in a small area of Asia Minor in 95 AD. Imagine having an insight into what Jesus was saying to individual churches. Now there are seven of these churches They're spread out in an area that's not that large. It's about the size of London. And they're all about 10 or 20 miles apart from each other. And the seven of them were not the only churches in that area. But Jesus chose these seven to give a message to through the Apostle John. And the first church had lost its first love, the church of Ephesus. And Jesus says, if you can overcome, if you can reignite your passion then you will succeed. The second church were persecuted. They were being killed for their faith. And Jesus said, if you can overcome and keep going with your faith, even in the face of violence and opposition, then I will be with you and you will have done well. The third church had false doctrine being spread around their church. Different people in their church were teaching false doctrines. And Jesus said, if you can overcome by preaching the word, then well done, and I'm with you, and I will give you a reward. And in this fourth church, the attack was not a lack of first love. It wasn't so much physical persecution. It wasn't so much that false doctrine was coming in from the outside. It was that one of their main leaders had become a preacher of false doctrine. So, These are the four churches we've seen so far. The first had lost their first love. Jesus says, get it back. Otherwise, you're in trouble. You really are. The second one, Jesus says, hold firm because you're being persecuted. Just keep going. Keep going. I'm with you and you will succeed. The third one, Jesus says, preach the word to overcome these false teachings that are just trying to get in from the outside. But the fourth one, there is a leader in the church who is a problem and he names her as Jezebel but that is probably not her name you know in the New Testament the writers of the New Testament and Jesus in Revelation they were very reluctant to name bad people by name very reluctant they hardly ever did Paul the apostle had so many people attacking him and spreading false doctrine and he never said their names he just mentioned the teaching that was wrong or the idea or called the group by a name, but he never mentioned people by name because he didn't wanna revile them or assassinate their characters, which God says is not something we should do. And so we should be careful. You know, the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, authorities. What that is saying is we don't fight against human beings. And therefore we don't name human beings as the enemy. We fight against ideas that are wrong, And evil spiritual forces and teachings that are wrong. And so we don't name people, but we name the error that they are promoting. How is that relevant to you and to me? Well, we are believers, most of us. If you're not a believer, well done for watching this sermon. You can become one. By the end of today, you can give your life to Jesus. But if you are a believer, Jesus is wanting to talk to you. He looks down at your city, your area, your country, whatever it is, and instead of seeing a Google Maps image with all the roads and the terrain, etc., he sees churches. That's the picture that John got. Jesus standing in the midst of seven lampstands, which are churches. And Jesus is blazing and glorious and beautiful and wonderful. So from God's point of view, Jesus is at the center of your community and then he sees these churches which are shining lights lampstands street lights lighthouses whatever you want to call them lampstands shining up and then Jesus has seven stars shining stars in his hands which he says are the seven angels which we have said means messengers the word in greek angelos means messenger there are many times in the new testament where the word angelos messenger is used of a human being not just a spiritual angel, but a human being. So John the Baptist is called an angelos, a messenger, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John the Baptist's disciples or followers, he sent them to Jesus and they were called angelos. They were messengers, he sent. Jesus sent out his messengers and they were called angelos or messengers. And in James, where it talks about Rahab, when she received the Israelite spies who came across the Jordan, they are called angelos or messengers. So human beings are called angels or messengers and we see Jesus shining glorious in the midst of churches lampstands in an area and he's holding seven stars which are leaders or angels and then with that hand that he's holding the stars in his right hand he touches John the apostle he lays that same hand on him as if to say you're also one of my messengers And we're going to see that he talks about these messengers today. So in Revelation 2 verse 18, it says, And to the angel or the messenger of the church in Thyatira. Who's the messenger? It's the main preacher, the main leader in every church. There were elders who led. There were people who did ministry who were not named as elders. Many people did ministry. Everyone was ministering. Basically, we read the New Testament. We see that everyone was involved in ministry. But a small group were called the elders, and then one was the main leader. To the leader or the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. So Jesus picked some of the description description words of him in Revelation 1, and he applied them to this church in Thyatira. He says, I'm the Son of God. I have eyes like fire and feet like fine refined brass why we're going to see in a moment that he was emphasizing the leadership aspects of himself he was saying i'm the son of god it's a position and i see prophetically i lead through vision and through seeing in the spirit but i also have my feet on the ground i am grounded the two together i know your works verse 19 your love your service your faith your patience as for your works the last are more than the first these guys were amazing. They had good works. They had service. They had faith. They had perseverance or patience. Their works were getting more and more. They were doing more and more for the Lord. And they had love. You know, in the first church, the Ephesus church, the first one we mentioned, they had all these things, but they'd lost their first love. They had works and service and faith and patience, but they'd lost their passion And Jesus said, get it back. Otherwise, you're in danger. Your church may end. But in this church, they still had their passion. Wow. They had works. They were doing good things for the Lord. Faith. They believed for God. They had perseverance. And they had this love, this passion. What a great church. What could possibly be wrong? How could the devil get into this church? Well, we're going to see. Verse 20, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, if you're just reading this for the first time, you might think this is very strange. First of all, why is he calling her Jezebel? (laughs) Jezebel was a notorious name in biblical times because she was an Old Testament queen who was a terrible villain. She'd been married to the king of Israel, Ahab, and she caused the whole nation to turn against God and she killed God's servants. She was a, a really bad woman. Her name, Jezebel, was kind of what we think of the name Hitler today. You wouldn't call some your child Hitler. You wouldn't call your child Jezebel but he names her as that to show the kind of person she was. We don't know who she really was. Some people say she was the pastor's wife. We we don't know, but it's interesting. She calls herself a prophetess. In other words, she'd taken a name or a title upon herself. Now prophetess is a real thing. It's a person who speaks for God, but it's not a title or a position or a badge It's more of a doing word. It's more of a gift. Let me explain what I mean. Some people in a church have the title of elder, which is also called pastor, which is also called overseer, sometimes translated as bishop. They're the same thing, all four of those. And it basically means shepherd or overseer. It's a position of leadership. Uh, Let me give you another way of looking at this. When we register as a charity with a Charities Commission, we need to say who the trustees are because they are the people who are responsible, the governors or the trustees. There are people with a title. And if the government ever had to bring some kind of a case against us, if we were ever to blame for anything wrong, it would be the governors or the trustees who were responsible for keeping everything in place. They have a position. But in our charity, our church, there are hundreds of people who are volunteering, who are working, who are doing the work of the church. They are active. Some of them are leading things. Some of them are influencing people. But they don't have the title of governor or trustee. They are acting in a way, using their gifts. It's a doing word. It's a verb, a doing word, prophetess but it's not a title, a noun as in elder. And she called herself a prophetess and it's almost like she took it as a title. Um, And it says she would teach and seduce God's children, God's servants to commit sexual immorality and things sacrificed to idols. Now, these two things are strange. Let me explain to you. In the Old Testament, there are many rules. There are over 600 rules in the law of Moses in the Old Testament. And then there's the big 10, the big 10 commandments. And these are just a a summary of the way God once wanted his people in those days to live. Out of those rules, there are some that still apply because they are righteous rules that always apply to all human beings. They're not just for the Jews living in the desert in those days. And those are repeated again and again in the New Testament. But now you have the situation in the Bible times where people were becoming Christians who didn't know the Old Testament rules because they weren't Jewish people. They were Gentiles. And so they had never read all of the Old Testament laws and rules. They started to read the Old Testament when they became believers in Jesus, but they didn't have this teaching of all the rules. And so what they had was the guidance inside them of their conscience and of the Holy Spirit and of just human Uh, knowing what's right and wrong. And so they were guided by the Holy Spirit and by their conscience. But they were also guided by their society around them and the society of the Greeks and the Romans and all the people around Israel who hadn't been influenced by the Old Testament. In those societies, sexual immorality was not considered wrong. And idolatry was not considered wrong lying was considered wrong because that's just it's almost like you know the golden rule do unto others as you would have others do to you we know i mustn't lie because i don't want people to lie to me we know i mustn't murder because i don't want to be murdered i mustn't steal because i don't want people to steal from me but sexual immorality in a society that doesn't have a biblical basis develops in such a way that you can have sex with anyone you want and that's what the societies were like in the Greek and the Roman countries all around Israel people could sleep with anyone nowadays when archaeologists dig up ruins of cities from ancient Rome and ancient Greece they are shocked at the art and the statues showing that everyone was just having sex with lots of different people of different ages all the same Same gender, different gender, children, adults. I mean, it was just very different from the Bible view of sex, which is that it's a man and a woman in a marriage relationship for life, covenanted and committed to each other to produce children and a family. That was a unique biblical view of sexuality and of marriage. And so these two sins, sexual immorality and idolatry, which is worshiping lots of statues and idols and gods and magic and different religions. Those two were the two that people didn't really catch automatically when they became Christians. And so those were the two that Gentile Christians were most often drawn into. And it was the thing that offended Jewish Christians the most because they said, Well, look how sinful these people are. And it was the two that the devil chose to tempt people away from true Christianity. Those were the two sins. So in Acts chapter 15, all the way back, right after Jesus had risen again, when the Gentiles first started becoming Christians, they had a big meeting in Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas and Peter and many others were there. And for several days, they talked about what are we going to do with these Gentiles? Because some Jewish Christians were saying they need to keep all the Old Testament rules, including being circumcised and all these different rules from the Old Testament. And they talked about it and everybody put their perspective in and the leaders allowed everybody to have a say and to contribute. Even the people who Paul disagreed with, everyone had a contribution. But then at the end of the meeting, James, the brother of Jesus, who was the angel of the church in Jerusalem, the leader said, this is the judgment. We've heard everyone's perspective. This is what I'm deciding. We're gonna write to the Gentiles. We're gonna say we love them. We're gonna say they don't have to keep all the Old Testament rules. They just need to keep what the the Holy Spirit and the conscience shows them to do and what the New Testament shows them to do. But the things we're gonna emphasize is sexual immorality and food sacrificed to idols or strangled or with blood still in it because these are the two that offend Jewish Christians that may not be natural for them to pick up. So sexual immorality and food sacrificed to idols. Can I just say that in today's world, today, we live in a society where sexual immorality is not considered wrong. People can sleep with whomever they want. You can sleep with other people even when you're married it's not a crime you can get divorced and remarried and divorced and remarried as many times as you like uh there's just the the boundaries are not there like they are in the bible and so it's possible for a person to become a christian and not realize that god has a different view of sexuality you say why because sex and marriage throughout the bible is a picture of god's love and relationship with his people that he wants to have of covenant commitment forever, where we're not unfaithful and we're looking around at other people, where we are committed to him, where we are pure and we just remain faithful to him, and where this intimacy between A husband and a wife is the intimacy that god wants to have with his church and with his people and right through the bible it is a consistent theme and it is so important and god says if you break this it breaks the image of my relationship with my people and it is important and hurtful if you do it wrong he says it damages the family it damages you personally it even affects your body It is a a damaging thing to go outside of this plan of life and joy that you get in a one man, one woman family unit. And so God speaks about it a lot. And today what's happened is that the devil has used sexual immorality as a way of trying to draw people. You know, I know many Christians who started off loving Jesus, believing the Bible, they got saved through the Bible. But then they wanted to compromise on the sexual morality issue. They wanted to say it's okay for some people to, to do different things sexually. And the only way they could do that over a period of time is by concluding that the Bible is not all true. And so they started to change the Bible or disbelieve it or work hard to make it say something that it never really said. And it is a trick that the devil is still using. What about idolatry? idol worship is worshiping other gods or magic or the occult or or all this different stuff. It is coming into the church. We see the teachings of different religions and different ideas coming into the church. We see Christians engaging in things that are clearly from other religions. Um, You know, healing practices and new age practices and seances and Uh, all this different stuff, worship that comes straight out of another religion, like yoga and various other things. And we take those and we say it's okay for Christians to do them. But in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes such a beautiful passage about idol worship. He says, you guys are tempted to be involved in eating food that's been sacrificed to an idol. He says, don't do it because idols have demons behind them. Every false religion There is a a demonic force trying to tempt people away. And so don't go that route, he says. Um, He says, if you eat something from the marketplace, uh, just eat it without conscience, because God is bigger than that. But if you participate in a ceremony that involves an idol worship, don't do that. But you can eat food without worrying. And even if you go to someone's house... And they put some food before you, eat it with no problem. But if they say to you, this was sacrificed to an idol, he says, don't eat it, not because it'll affect you, but because you're trying to show them that worshiping idols is harmful for them. And so today, again, these things are coming in subtly into the church, and it's exactly the same method. We saw it in the Ephesus church. He says, you're following the teachings of the Nicolaitans. In Thyatira, he says, you hold to the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans, and it's exactly these same two things, sexual immorality and food sacrifice to idols. I'm moving on. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. She did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. What is Jesus is saying here is sometimes he intervenes. You know, he has decided, Jesus has decided not to judge until the end of time. And so he's not getting involved in judging every sin now. You say, Greg, do you have some verses for that? Yes, I do. John twelve forty seven. If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my word has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Jesus is waiting till the last day to judge. There are many things that happen that are not God's judgment. they just living in a broken world causes pain. But there are times when Jesus has to step in. He has the right to step in at any time. He's chosen to wait till the last day. He's giving us grace, but he has the right to step in when when it is essential for the protection of his church. And he says, I'm going to step in and I'm going to judge this lady, Jezebel, and those who follow her. But he says, it's him who does it. It says, I am the one who searches minds and hearts. In 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5, he says, don't judge people's minds and hearts, the hidden counsels of the hearts, because God will judge it at the last day. Here, Jesus says, I am the one who judges people's motives. You don't have to. You can judge their outward actions and challenge them about it. But don't judge people's hearts and minds. You don't know what's going on inside them. But Jesus said, I will do it. I will judge her. I will get involved. Because we as humans don't judge each other. We just obey the Lord. We're all the same level underneath God who is the judge. Verse 24. Now to you I say and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have until I come. I will put on you no other burden is exactly the same words they used in their letter in Acts chapter 15 when they wrote to the Gentiles and said, just avoid sexual immorality and food sacrificed to idols. The same Jesus says here and uh, he says the depths of Satan because these people taught this prophetess Jezebel, she taught as if she had the depths and the deep teachings and super spiritual things. And this is where the picture of Jesus is so valuable. He starts off this letter saying, I'm the one with the blazing eyes and the feet of fine brass. You know, prophet type people have the blazing eyes. They see spiritual pictures and they 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 see things and they lead us by these eyes that that see spiritual things. And we need them, but we also need the feet on the ground, which is the word of God. And when you get the two together, you get a picture of leadership that is strong and healthy. But in this church, they'd gone into the prophetic and she says, I'm gonna teach you the deep things. And if you understand this about how not all sexual immorality is really bad and the Bible isn't really true and it's okay to do a bit of this weird practice that they do in Buddhism or whatever. The deep things are not always the good things. The deep things are when we're grounded in God's word and we are passionate, blazing eyes for the spirit of God. And then he says, he who overcomes and keeps my works till the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. That word rule is pastor, the word pastor. He shall elder, he shall shepherd, he shall be the leader with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. The stars are the leaders in his hands. He says, if you are a good leader... Leader in this church of Thyatira, if you're a good leader, I will give you the morning star, which is Jesus himself. He is called the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Friends, you need to be in a church where Jesus is speaking. You need to be in a church where there is the power of the Holy Spirit and the passion, but also the grounding of the Word of God. And you need to be in a church where the leaders are able to say to people that is not right. Stop teaching that. And we are going to exercise our leadership authority. When God's leaders lead in the right way, as servant leaders, as humble leaders, but with the power of God and based on the word of God, churches thrive. Where we don't have clear leadership or where people use their gifting to assume a position of leadership, they call themselves a leader, a prophetess, an apostle, or whatever, When that happens, that's not healthy. We need godly leaders who are humble, but who will then allow ministry to happen and will keep a watch and keep feet on the ground and eyes blazing for the Lord. Lord Jesus, I pray for my friend right now who is in a church. I pray, Lord, that you would cause their church to be grounded and passionate. And Lord, I pray for my friend who's watching here today, who wants to give their life to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your word says if we call on your name, you will always answer us and save us. Friend, just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe you are alive. You died for my sins and you rose again. And I want to give my life to you. I want to be your child. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and I dedicate myself to serving and following you for the rest of my life. Friend at leadinglightsnetwork.com. We would love to hear from you and help you. And we are here to walk through this wonderful journey of faith with you. Please let us know how we can help you. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.